Clark Griswold. <laughs> He's one of my heroes, to be honest. Clark tried as hard as he could to have a perfect, old-fashioned family Christmas. But nothing went as planned. Now, I should pause for a public service announcement. If you haven't seen the arguably best Christmas movie of all time, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, well, too bad. I mean, it came out in 1989. You've had time, but I'll try not to ruin every plot line this morning. I wrote about my love of this movie in the... There is a plot, believe it or not. Believe it or not. I I wrote about my love of this movie in the church newsletter last year, and several of you came out of hiding and shared your great love for this fabulous film as well. So I know there are a few fans out there. But for those who haven't seen it, I should say as well, it's probably not appropriate for every young ear, but it's always, always funny. And it's funny because everything goes wrong. Everything. The Griswolds go cut down their own Christmas tree, but forget the saw. When they finally have the perfect tree, it burns up. The Christmas bonus is canceled. Cousin Eddie shows up. The visiting in-laws don't get along. There's a squirrel, cat kibble jello, a dried out turkey, and a pledge of allegiance prayer. Clark Griswold's perfect old-fashioned family Christmas is a disaster. The central scene of the movie is really a parable for the whole film when Clark Griswold has decorated almost every square inch of the family home with Christmas lights. And it's time to turn them on. The whole family gathers outside in the cold and their PJs on the front lawn for the big reveal. And Clark is proud of his work. 250 strands of lights, he announces, for the grand total of 25,000 imported Italian twinkle lights. Ooh, you're supposed to say. As the lights are about to be turned on in all their glory, Clark announces, I dedicate this house to the Griswold family Christmas. Drum roll, please. And doing their best drum roll, he starts to sing, Joy to the world. And nothing. Thank you. you. Nothing. Not one light, not one strand, no bulb turns on, no light, no glory, no joy to the world or to anyone on the lawn. Nothing. And this father-in-law says, I hope you kids see what a silly waste of resources this all is. Nothing ever goes right with Clark Griswold. And I don't know. I mean, we kind of know the feeling. Maybe not as grand as he does, but sometimes it just seems like nothing ever goes right. Too often, we just don't even try. We don't take the risk because, well, if we did, then it might all go wrong. So why even bother? We give up before we try. All the lights may not come on. Why even decorate? And what if we're not good enough. After all, who are we to experience joy? Have we really earned joy? We sing joy to the world, but sometimes it seems very hard to find. Sometimes it seems like joy is really nothing but a silly waste of resources. Foreboding joy. That's what the author Brene Brown calls it in her book, Daring Greatly. We're always waiting for the next shoe to drop, she says. 
Now that expression is a relic of the past originating in the early 1900s when immigrants, people flooding to cities, were crammed into tenement houses. Houses that were so thinly built that you could literally hear the upstairs neighbor taking their shoes off at night. And once you heard that first shoe hit the floor, you waited for the other shoe to drop. Some of us live our lives this way, waiting for that other shoe to drop. We dress, rehearse tragedy, Brown says. Imagining something bad is going to happen when in reality everything may be good. But joy, well, joy opens us up, doesn't it? It leaves us vulnerable, she says. And that vulnerability scares us. What if we lose those things that bring us joy? We miss out on the joy instead of as we wait for the tragedy, as we wait for that next shoe to drop. Vulnerability. Now, in the first century, there were few people more vulnerable than these shepherds. The Christmas story, shepherds are hired hands. They're not landowners or flock owners. They're the lowest of low-wage workers. They work all night, the night shift, watching someone else's sheep. Night is when we are most vulnerable. When the light is not shining, you can't see what is coming for you, what's coming for your flock. The shadows appear as monsters. Every sound is coming straight for you. The shepherds live a vulnerable life, quite literally on the edge of society, out in a field, on the edge of town. But it's right there on the edge when they are at their most vulnerable, when the angels appear. And it's no surprise, they are terrified. Would it you be? They didn't see this as a divine appearance. They didn't know what it was, but it came to threaten their flock and perhaps their own lives as well. And so the first words out of the angel's mouth is, do not be afraid, or as our children taught us this morning, don't freak out. Why? Why should we not be afraid? Because I'm bringing you good tidings of great joy, joy to the world, wonderful, joyous news for all people. But if you want to experience it, if you want to see this joy, do not be afraid. Now, fear makes us feel like we're living on the edge. If we're jumpy already, anything that reeks at all of difference or change can feel like a threat to us. We get hyper aware on the lookout for bad stuff we hear about every day, constantly told on the news, on our phones, everywhere that bad is coming. Everything and everyone can be a threat if we see it through the eyes of fear. But it's more than that, isn't it? Because if we ever have experienced loss, if we've ever experienced pain, if we've failed, lost it all, opened ourselves up only to be let down, then why would we want to risk that again? Isn't it easier to avoid the pain by missing out on the joy? You don't have to clean up afterwards if you never throw the party. You don't have to risk heartbreak if you never love. You don't have to worry if you never try again. But try again. That's what Clark Griswold does every single time. It's why this movie should be listed as one of the greats. Why perhaps Clark Griswold should be added to our nativity scene. (laughs) That might be going too far. But every, after every spectacular failure, he tries again. And again, he almost gives up towards the end of the movie. But 
He tries again. He checks every light bulb twice. And eventually he finds his dumb mistake. And his house shines with glory. And there's a lot of setbacks along the way. Glorious failures. And he almost breaks down and calls the whole thing off. But in the end, in the ashes of a burnt up Christmas tree and lots of broken wishes, there is Christmas joy. Silent night. Holy night. Shepherds quake. At the sight, glories stream from heaven afar. Heavenly hosting, alleluia. Christ, the Savior is born. Christ, the Savior is born. Those are the words, the second verse of Silent Night, our theme today. And it's why we've gone out of the traditional order of the Advent wreath. Usually we talk about joy on the third Sunday of Advent. But today it's the second Sunday because it fits better with that carol. But when does joy ever really come in the right order? Glories stream. That's how the beloved Carol has put it for for 200 years. That's often how it is with joy, isn't it? In the midst of darkness, after spectacular failure and deep disappointment, joy starts to stream. It streams in, sometimes blinding through the cracks in the darkness and shines its light. A glory. That's not a word we use a lot anymore. It's an Old Testament word. The ancient Hebrew texts are full of glory. Glory often is referring to God's presence. When God is with people, there's glory. There's this bright light that shines, sometimes blinding. Moses encounters God and his face literally glows. They have to put a veil over him so they don't get blinded by the light. Throughout scriptures, glory has to do with shining, with light. God is light. God's presence, God's deliverance, God's strength is with us like a pillar of fire or a burning bush or later in the story, a shining light that is accompanied by the theatrics of angelic hosts bringing their singing to the shining. But there's something more to this light, this glory. Glory's stream, the carol sings. But from where do they stream? From heaven afar. God's glory streaming directly from heaven down to earth. A spotlight pointed from the glory of heaven right here on us. The glory is God's presence streaming near. It shines because God is here. The light not only points to God, the light is God. And it seems bright and mighty, but if you come closer, you will see the light is shining not from some twinkling star or majestic angel, but the light shines from a newborn baby. Talk about vulnerability. Nothing is more vulnerable than a baby. And what sets the heavens off that night, what shone the glory, what made the shepherds quake, what changes history and has kept us singing joy to the world from then until now, was it angels or stars, but God coming near, God becoming a baby, one of us, God risking it all, becoming human, God becoming vulnerable, God's risky vulnerability cracked the heavens open and glory streamed out and God as Christ became our light Shining in darkness, shining in our hearts, lighting up the whole world, declaring throughout history that this, this is what joy looks like. Joy has come into the world. So do not be afraid. Open yourselves up. Take the journey to see joy. It's risky. It's always risky. But it's worth it. Joy is always 
worth it.